back in week four of our Love and Light series through uh, the New Testament book of First John. And so if you have a Bible, either in print, on an app, let me encourage you to go ahead and make a beeline there. First John chapter two, we're gonna start in verse 12. That's where we're gonna be this morning. And I wonder, uh, are you like me? Have you ever said something to someone and then you walk away and you later begin to think, I wonder if they took that the wrong way. Anybody ever have that experience? You're like, man, we had this conversation. I meant it this way, but they, now that I think about it, they could have taken it this way. You're like, oh, dang, I better go back and clarify because I don't want them to have their feelings hurt because I was trying to say this, and, and, and I hope they didn't take it this way. And I remember, uh, particularly as my kids were younger, there would be times where uh, one of them was just kind of acting up, and so I would call a family meeting and like bring them all in in the living room, sit them all down, and have have the dad combo, right? Hey, hey, guys, you know, you know, I love you, but I, I just want to say there's there's one thing I'm not going to tolerate in this house, and that and that's lying, right? And so then then the guilty one starts to feel feel, feel guilty, feel the shame that they ought to feel, and they start crying and stuff like that. But then oftentimes, what would happen, unbeknownst to me, is the other two would feel crushed. They're like, man. I, I wasn't like I, I wasn't lying like dad thinks I'm lying to him and then so oftentimes my wife would come to me and be like hey you need to go talk to the other two because they think you're accusing them of lying right? so then I have to sit down and say honey listen uh, that warning wasn't for you I was just kind of trying to set some ground rules for our family I really had your rotten brother or sister in mind so that wasn't that wasn't for you that was that was for them well that that's really kind of what I think the apostle John is going to be doing at the start of this section of his letter that we're going to be diving into uh, today this morning now, if you were here last week, just by way of recap, John is dealing with a group of false teachers who had sort of arisen in the church in Ephesus. Now, uh, extra bonus points, Bible scholar points. What's the name of this group of uh, people that have arisen in the church? Anybody know? Uh, the first service was all over, man. Y'all need to start doing, y'all need to start listening. The Gnostics, all right? The Gnostics. This is a group of people within the church that have kind of arisen. They believed the false gospel, started teaching a false gospel. And, and basically what the Gnostics believed was that everything spiritual is good, everything in the physical world is bad. Okay, so everything physical is bad, everything in the spiritual world is, is good, and so all that really matters is that, what, that you b believe rightly, it really doesn't matter how you live at all, right? So you can know God in your mind, but live like the devil in your life, no problem. And this heresy ultimately led them down a path of denying that Jesus was God, right? Because they're like, hey, God is spirit, that's good. Our human bodies are bad, so God couldn't have come into a human body like the Christians say, so they basically denied the deity of Jesus. Now, now some of these Ephesian Christians are, of course, confused by this. They're like, man, these, these are people that have been in our church for years. They've been worshiping with us. They've also been listening to Pastor John's sermons every single week. And, and they, they claim to, to, to know Jesus. They, they claim to be a follower of Jesus. And now they've gone out from us. They claim to have all this new knowledge about all this spiritual stuff is good and physical stuff is bad and all this kind of stuff. And they're kind of confused by it. And they're like, man, is, is, John, is Pastor John right? Or are these new teachers, are, are they right? Is there something in the middle? And so John is interrupting the conversation to say without reservation, hey, listen, guys, these false teachers have gone off the rail. They have abandoned the way of Jesus completely. Do not listen to their teachings, right? This is not the gospel that, that I've given you. And so last week, John gave us the first two of three tests by which we can determine if we have authentic faith in Christ. You guys may remember those, right? They'll be on the screens for you. He gave us the test of obedience, the test of love, and this week he's gonna give us the third test, the test of belief or truth. 
Now, at the beginning of last week, we said, hey, look, this is, this is going to be a, a tough passage to digest. And, and it was, wasn't it? I mean, John was very direct. He was very to the point. Last week, he said, hey, listen, whoever says they know God, but walk in the darkness, they are a liar, and the truth is not in them. He went on to say, whoever says he loves his brother, but actually in, in practice hates him, he's in the darkness, and he's spiritually blind. He doesn't, he doesn't know the Father. So John was basically, basically saying, hey, listen, guys, if you, if you know Jesus, there will at least be this desire to obey Jesus. Not, not sinlessly, not perfectly, not flawlessly, but there will at least be this desire, like, man, I, I want to follow Jesus. Like, I, I want to obey Jesus. And when I sin, there's going to be this conviction in my heart, ultimately, that leads me to repent and come back to the ways of Jesus. So that's one marker. It's the test of obedience. And he also said, hey, look, the test of genuine love. Do, do you love your brothers and sisters in the faith? I'm not talking about lip service, like, hey, bro, I love you. No, but, but practically, we talked about what agape love is, the way that God loves us, self-sacrificial love. Even when it hurts, even when it's messy, even when it's inconvenient, are you loving your brothers and sisters in the faith in that way? This is one of the marks that you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And so what the Apostle John was saying last week is, hey, listen, if those things are missing in your life, that should at least be cause for self-examination. We should at least pause for a moment and say, let me examine my life. Let me make sure I'm just not a spiritual person. I'm not just a religious person. Let me make sure that I actually know Jesus, that I actually have his spirit living inside of me and leading me and directing me in life. Now, ultimately, we know that John had in mind these false gospel teachers, the Gnostics, when he's writing these things. And so I think what, what and a lot of scholars think what John is doing here is he, he may be thinking like, gosh, I hope all the Christians that I'm, that, that I'm writing to that are reading this letter are not gonna be discouraged thinking I'm pointing the finger at them saying they're not Christians. Because that is kind of one of the dangers when we tackle a passage like the one we looked at last week, like the one that we're looking at this week, right? Is that, is that he can intend something for one audience and then we can receive it. Like, man, John, John is calling our salvation into question. He doesn't want that to happen. He's trying to, he's trying to help them see these false teachers for what they are. They're frauds. He's not trying to get us as authentic believers to doubt our faith, right? I think what John wants us to do is to actually look at these three tests, the test of obedience, the test of love, the test of belief, and go, you know what? I desire to obey Jesus. Do I do it perfectly every day? No. But man, that is my heart's desire. I want to do that. I love my brothers and sisters in, in Christ. Like, do I do that flawlessly? Absolutely not, man. But I'm growing in that area. Like, man, I want to love the brothers and I want to love the sisters in Christ. And you know what? I believe that Jesus is God. Like, man, all three of those, te the, they're true about me. Not perfectly, but the seeds of those things are present in my heart and life. And John wants us to be assured by that. Like, wow, man, I really am saved. I really do have the Holy Spirit living inside of me. He wants us to be excited about that. So with that in mind, he gives us this cool little flurry of rhythmic poetry starting in verse 12. Some really encouraging word for these believers in the churches in Ephesus. And listen, guys, I'm hoping that these words will be a great encouragement to you this morning as well if you're in Christ. So let's start. First John chapter two, starting in verse 12. This is again, John's showing off a little bit of rhythmic poetry here. He goes, I am writing to you little children, a term of endearment. Remember, he's, he's like in his 90s now. He's an older seasoned guy. These are, these are his kids in the faith. He loves them. This is kind of his pastor's heart being exposed here. I'm writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. 
I write to you, children, because you know the Father. There's that second time where he's really focusing in on our relationship with God. Verse 14, I write to you, fathers, because you know him. Again, third time he's now gone back to this, who is from the beginning. I write to you, young man, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Now, what you'll notice as we go through this is that John is addressing three groups of people in the church. Little children, fathers, and young men. Little children, fathers, and young men. Now, here's what John is doing. He's addressing believers at different stages of spiritual maturity and development. So in any church, New Life uh, would be no exception to this. Any church, you have brand new baby Christians, right? People who have just recently, in the last few months, uh, last year even, given their life to Jesus. And so maybe that's kids in the room. You've just recently pledged your life to Jesus. Who knows? Maybe you're 80, and you've just recently, in the last year, given your life to Jesus. You're an infant in the faith, right? You don't know much of anything outside of, hey, I believe in Jesus, and I love him. And that's enough. Like, you're you're part of the family. And then you have another category of people in any church. They're called the mature saints, right? The seasoned saints, folks that have been walking with Jesus for decades, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, man. And I'm so grateful for the seasoned saints that we have here at New Life. Been walking with Jesus for decades. Some of our best prayer warriors would be in this category. Then they have a third category, what I would call kind of like the midpoint Christians, Kind of, kind of younger, maybe middle-aged folks, been walking with Jesus for a while, maybe even a few years, have a lot of energy, have a lot of fire in the belly, but not as mature as they one day will be. And John has specific encouragements to each group, but I think each encouragement can be rightly applied to all Christians, regardless of where we are in our maturity spiritually. Now, here's what he's doing. He's reminding these believers, and I think he's reminding us today of who they really are in Jesus. He wants to give them four markers of their identity in Christ to encourage their hearts. And so, listen, if you're here, if you're online, and you would say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. Like, I love him. Do I do it perfectly? No, I mess up all the time. But my heart's desire is to follow him, to love him. If that's you, if you're a follower of Christ this morning, man, I just want to invite you the next three or four minutes, just bask in these truths. Just, just claim them for yourself. Just bathe your heart and your mind in these truths this morning, all right? So he gives us kind of four encouragements from what we just read. Number one, he says, if you're in Christ, you are forgiven. Number one, you're forgiven. Verse 12, this is really good news. What John is saying is, hey, listen, guys, all the stuff that you're ashamed of, all the stuff that you're really embarrassed about, like all the stuff that you've done that, you're, that bring you shame, all the, all the things you've done, words you've said, careless things you've said, all the awful things that you've thought, all of them forgiven. Not, 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 not most of them. Not like 90% of them. Not like 99%, but that one thing that was really bad, that, one, that one's excluded, it doesn't count. He says, all of them are forgiven through Christ. Man, I love the line in, in the old hymn that says, my sin not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Not some of it, all of it, forgiven in Jesus. And here's why that's important, guys. Forgiveness in the spiritual realm equals freedom. Forgiveness equals freedom. There's so many Christians, I feel like they're just kind of walking around like they're still shackled to to slavery of sin, man. And John is reminding us, no, 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 you are forgiven. Walk as free men and free women. The second encouragement he gives us is he says, listen, you know God. Verses 13 and 14, you know God and he knows you. 
Listen, believer, do not despair when you're tempted to despair in life. And there are a lot of things that can tempt us to despair in life. John is saying, when you're tempted to despair, remember, you know the God of the universe. And maybe even better than that, he knows you. Let me just ask you, Christian, when's the last time that you just allowed your mind to be absolutely blown by the fact that you have a relationship with the one who breathed out the stars? The one who speaks galaxies into existence. Like, I know him. I don't just know about him. I just know some facts about him. Like, I have a relationship with the creator of all that is. Like, I pray and he hears my prayers. Then he answers my prayer like, this is absolutely wild. This is insane. John is saying, remember, you are forgiven and you know God. You have a relationship with him. The third encouragement he gives these believers, lest they despair. Number three, he says, you're a victor over the evil one. Verses 13 and 14. He says, you're an overcomer. You're a victor. Now listen, this is a conversation I've had just like on repeat with many of you over the last several weeks and months, just struggles that some of you guys are having that just seem to me to fall within the realm of spiritual warfare. And I just want to say this morning, maybe you're new to the Christian faith and this is kind of like news to you, but I just want to say this. Y'all listen, we have a real enemy. Like I think a lot of us, especially as Western Christians, we just kind of slough that off and you're like, ah, superstition, devil, demon. No, 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 no. Listen, we have a very real and present and active enemy in this world who wants to destroy you and everyone that you love. The Bible says he's like a, like a lion who prowls around seeking who he might devour or destroy. We have a real enemy and we need to be reminded that the one who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. I've given you guys this example before, but um, if you were to drop me off in the middle of like, one of the most dangerous urban areas, one of the most dangerous, Compton or New York City, Brooklyn, Bronx, wherever it is, you know, two o'clock in the morning. If I'm by myself, I'm nervous, right? I'm, I'm hiding behind a trash can until sunlight, you know, like, hope nobody sees me back here. But you flank me with two Navy SEALs with all their tactical gear, I ain't nervous anymore, right? In fact, I'm walking down the streets with a bit of a strut, right? You're like, come at me, bro. You got something to say? Come over here. Come over here. Right? There's this, this confidence. And what John is saying here is, listen, you have, you have Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit of God. You're not to walk around timidly or in fear. You have overcome the evil one. You are an overcomer. You're a victor over the evil one. Christian, do not live in fear. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Number four, he gives us another truth. This is also beautiful and inspiring he says listen you are spiritually strong you're spiritually now, I don't know about you I don't feel spiritually strong a lot of days in fact a lot of days I wake, I, I wake up and I feel very spiritually weak John is saying no, no no you need to understand something your identity in Christ means that you are spiritually strong not because you're so awesome he actually tells us why in verse 14 he says because the word of God abides in you Christian you are not weak you have access to all the strength you will ever need in Christ through his word, the scriptures, and the Holy Spirit. And that's, why, that's one reason why I just constantly try to encourage you guys, and I would encourage you again this morning to develop a daily rhythm of spending time with the Lord. Let me just say, man, if you're only getting fed on Sunday mornings, man, you are gonna dry up and drift away. 
You, you have to learn how to self-feed spiritually. You need a daily rhythm of being in God's word. Now, I just, just recently discovered a tool that's been helpful for me. I just wanna pass these things along when I come, uh, come along and find these things. But there's an app that you can download on your phone. It's completely free. It's called Lexio 365, L-E-C-T-I-O 365. And what this app does is it provides you a morning devotional and an evening devotional, about seven, eight minutes long. So you get some scripture, some guided prayer time. They usually have some, some man or woman with like a, like a cool Scottish accent or something like that, read the scriptures to you. It makes it seem more spiritual if you got an accent. And so, uh, man, I, I did, that was my devotion this morning, man. I was sitting there getting ready in the, in the bathroom. I just hit my app and seven minutes in and man, I felt refreshed. I, I had prayed, I had studied some scripture, had some scripture read over me. It was, it was great. So maybe that's a, a tool just to kind of help you get in that rhythm as we go along. But four encouragements John is giving us as followers of Jesus. Hey, remember, you're forgiven. You have a relationship with God. You're a victor over the evil one and you are spiritually strong. Man, like I, I feel better just hearing those words. He wants to encourage us. He wants to assure us. And now he's gonna move into a section about how we can be in the world, but not of the world. And that is especially relevant to us today, is it not? As Christians, as followers of Jesus, how, how, how can we be in the world and yet at the same time, not of the world? So John is basically saying to, to these believers, these, these precious spiritual children of, uh, of his, that he's pastored all these years in the Ephesian church. He's saying, listen guys, I know that you're all at different places in your spiritual development, but what I'm about to say to you is beneficial for all of you. Doesn't matter if you're a baby Christian, you're a midpoint Christian, you're a seasoned saint, you need to hear what I'm about to say. And he goes on in verse 15, he says this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, then he gives three categories, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, or the pride of possessions, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now, when John warns us about the things of the world, this is important, he uses the word Greek, uh, the Greek word cosmos. Now, he is not saying that we shouldn't enjoy God's good creation. I think that's been kind of a misperception in some church circles over the years that this kind of this idea that gets maybe even preached from certain platforms or pul pulpits, like, hey, Christian, yeah, we're just waiting on heaven, man. We're just waiting on heaven, and so what we need to do as Christ followers is just kind of be miserable in this life. Man, don't enjoy any sunsets. Don't ever go to the, to the beach to enjoy with your, your family. Don't ever go for a beautiful hike in the woods to waterfalls. Don't enjoy any good food. No fun for you. Man, man that, that gets taught, man. And a lot of us, we came up in those kind of churches with that kind of doctrine. Man, we're living for heaven. We just, our goal is just to be as miserable as possible while we're on planet Earth. Is that what John is saying here? I would argue no. In fact, when he speaks of the world in this context, he's speaking of the, this is an important distinction. Listen up to this. He, he's speaking about the world's value system. The world's value system, right? And this is all the world's value system is. The world's value system is a corruption of God's good design. Do you know the world doesn't offer us anything new? All the world does is take what God created as good and twist it and then offer us some alternative version that's actually harmful to us. Right, we take what is meant as good, we twist it around to it's no longer good for us, but it actually becomes harmful to us. 
And so, for instance, we take something like sex, just as an example. Now, if you're, if you're new to, to new life, you maybe have not heard me say this, you've been around a while, you probably have. I don't know if you know this or not, but, but, but sex is God's idea. Did you know that? Like, like God, God wasn't in, in heaven one day, and, and he just looks down and he goes, oh, dang, what are they doing? God, like, Jesus, come here, man. Look at Holy Spirit, come God, look at these freaks. Look at, like, what a bunch of perverts. We're gonna have to come up with a whole new set of rules. That's not how it went down. Like, it's his idea. This is his plan, right? And here's what we do. We take his ideas, what he meant for good, things like sex, designed to be enjoyed in the safety and beauty of a monogamous marriage between a man and a woman, now listen, it's even controversial for a pastor to say that nowadays, but I'm gonna keep saying it. God's good design to be enjoyed in the beauty and the safety of a monogamous marriage between one man and one woman. Another example that I always use for, for this particular uh, example of like sex, it, sex is like a fire, right? If you were to ask me, is, is, is a fire good? My first question to you would be, well, where's it at? Right? If it's in a fireplace on a cold winter's night, it can be a beautiful, warming thing, romantic. I can cook food on it. It can be life-giving. If I take that same fire and put it on the living room floor, it ain't good no more. Right? That, that's, that's what sex is, right? But, but we take what's designed to live in the fireplace and we put it all over the house and then wonder why our house burns down. So here's what we do. Here's what we do. We go, God, thank, thanks for the gift. Appreciate it. But I have some better ideas. I have some better ideas. In fact, in fact let, let's try this gift before marriage. Let, let, let's, let's, let's just cohabit. I mean, we're going to get married anyway. Let's just save some rent money, live together before marriage. God won't really care, right? Or, or maybe, maybe we'll try it within marriage. So like, uh, yeah, I got my spouse over here, but I got a cute secretary over here. So I'm going to try it here and I'm going to try it over there. And let, let's twist it this way and let's twist it that way and let's mutilate it over here, right? And we take what is good and we end up with something that is horribly harmful for us. And we do the same thing with almost everything. Just to give you a couple more examples. We do the same thing with food, right? God's good design for our enjoyment. I've said this before. Why doesn't all food taste like cardboard? Because God is good and he loves us, right? This is God's good gift, you can tell I was hungry when I was uh, studying this part of it, man, but I, the thought that came to my mind is like, man, a plate of perfectly cooked chicken wings, crispy on the outside, tender on the inside, little cool ranch to dip them in, glass of ice cold Diet Coke, Lord have mercy. <laughs> Praise Jesus Christ. But what, listen, what do we do so often as fallen human beings? We take, we take what is good and we turn it into the sin of gluttony, don't we? We take what is good and we absolutely wreck our bodies, right? We have an epidemic in our culture of obesity and heart disease and diabetes and joint problems and all. We're eating ourselves to death. Listen, I'm there with you, man. There's a reason I live at the gym three or four nights a week, right? If I, if I didn't, I'd be as big as a barn. This is a temptation for me as well. I'm not casting any stones, but we can just go down the line. Sex, food, drink, money, career, relationships. All the world system is, is a perversion, a corruption of what God made good for us. 
right? It's good things in the wrong way, place, or time. That's what the world's value system is. It's good things in the wrong way, place, or time. And John is saying, hey, listen, follower of Jesus Christ, we don't adopt the world's value system. We adopt the way of Jesus, the upside down kingdom of our Savior. And again, John is not saying, hey, be miserable, don't enjoy life. Listen, if you're new to the faith, if you've never been in your life, let me just say this clearly for you. God wants you to be happy. I believe with all my heart, God wants you to enjoy food, drink, sex, money, career, trips to the beach, all the things. Just in a way that bring him glory and leads to abundant life for you because he loves you. John tells us exactly what love for the world looks like. Because if you're like, well, Chris, what does it mean? If it's so dangerous to love the world, how do, how do I know what that is? Like, how do I stay away from that? Well, John gives us three categories, makes it really easy for us. And he says this, this is what love of the world looks like. Lust of the flesh, desire of the eyes, and pride in possessions. Now, let's just, one by one, let's just go through them quickly. Lust of the flesh, if it feels good, do it. Isn't that the motto of our entire culture right now? If it feels good, do it. Feels good to drink too much, so I'm gonna get hammered on the weekend. Feels good to eat too much, so I'm just gonna eat myself into all kinds of health problems. Feels good to have sex outside of marriage, so I'm just gonna sleep around. Hookup culture, right? Feels good to do this, so I'm gonna do this. Feels good to do that, so I'm gonna do that. John is saying, be careful. That That is love for the world, which is not compatible with love for your heavenly father. What's the second category? He says, desire of the eyes. This is the idea, man, if I had that car, I'd be happy. If I had that house, if I had that job, if I had that wife, if I had that husband, then I would be happy. I have to admit to you, because I felt guilty about it, uh, just yesterday, my my wife and I were leaving the gym, and as we were pulling out, I noticed a cherry red, brand new Ford Bronco, jacked up, big knobby tires, and I, for a moment, I, I thought, owning that car would probably unlock a new level of happiness in my life. I legit thought that. And then I was like, crap, I'm preaching on this tomorrow. I'm like, God, I'm, I'm sorry. I repent for, from the desire of the eyes. I, like, I know my happiness is only sourced in you. I would like to have the car, but my happiness is only sourced in you. But we do that, don't we? Right? You see the way a husband loves his wife tenderly, and you start to think, man, I wonder what it would be like to be married to him. Or the way a wife treats her husband, you think, man, what would it be like to be married to her? Covetousness. We start coveting things that don't belong to us. Desire of the eyes. John says, be careful, friend. This is actually tied to love of the world. Then the third one, he says, pride of possessions or pride in possessions. This is the idea of, man, I want to be awesome and I want everybody to know how awesome I am. Like, look at the car I drive. Look at the house I live in. Look at the designer watches that I wear. Look at the vacations I take. John goes, careful, beloved. Be careful. Love for the world cannot coexist with love for God. And Jesus says as much himself in Matthew chapter six, does he not? Jesus says, don't don't store up treasures for yourself on earth but instead store up treasures for yourself in heaven. And then just a few verses later, he says, no one can serve two masters because eventually what's gonna happen is you're gonna love the one and you're gonna hate the other. You cannot love Jesus and the world simultaneously. Now here's what many of us do. 
And I think a lot of us, even we just do this subconsciously. Like I, and here's the, the dangerous part about it, is it can be very subtle. Like we can, we can not even realize that this is happening in our thought patterns. But what many of us do is we go, you know what? I hear what you said, Jesus. I hear what you said, John. But I think I can have both. I think I can have my cake and eat it too. I love Jesus and I love the world. See how easy that is? I go, to, I go to church on Sunday and then I also live exactly like the world Monday through Saturday. So I, I spend my money the same exact way the world does. I view sex the same exact way the world does. I treat food and drink the same exact way the world does. I look at marriage and parenting the same exact way the world does. I view career and possessions the same exact way the world does. But then I'm just gonna sprinkle a little Jesus dust on a life that looks nothing like Christ and call it a day. And guys, can I, can I just tell you as, as one of your pastors in, from a place of love, I want you to know how insanely, how insanely dangerous that is for your soul. Moreover, I want you to know just how foolish this is. This is, this is, this is not wisdom. This would be sort of like, man, uh, if I were to go to uh, my, my wife, Cheryl, one day, and I would just were to say, say to her, hey, boo, listen, um, I have... I have a handful of women in, in my life, but I want you to know you the top dog, right? All right, I got, I got these five or six women over here. I want you to know, don't, don't worry about it, you number one, boo. In fact, let, let me take it a step further just so you appreciate how much I actually love you. Even though I have these other women over here, I want you to know at least four nights a week, so that's the majority of the week, I'm gonna be coming home to you, you lucky dog you. Now, let me ask you, let me ask you, you're like, dude, you would be dead. Yes, yes, I would, right? Do you think Cheryl would perceive that conversation as love or betrayal? After you guys attended my funeral, she would tell you betrayal. She would say that felt like hatred. That didn't feel like love. That, that felt like the opposite of love. And listen, guys, and yet that is exactly what many of us do with Jesus in the world. Jesus, I'm going to live for all these things over here. So 90, 95% of my time, 95% of my energy, money, resources, thought patterns, they're all going over here. But Jesus, don't worry about it. You're number one, big dog. Even though my bank account says something different, over the way, the way I manage my time says something different, the way that I live my life says something different, don't worry about all this stuff over here that says I love these things more than you. I'm telling you, you're number one, big dog. And this is precisely why Jesus says that on that last day there are many who think they're in who will come to him and he will say with a tear in his eye depart from me for I never knew you we cannot love God and love the world at the same time friend these two loves are incompatible and so here's the first truth I think John would give us if he were standing on the stage right now Christian on the screens we must learn to love God above all else. Friend, hear, hear me plead with you this morning. Don't add him to your list of loves. Don't add him to a list of your lovers. Make him primary in your life. And then all those secondary things that you're so obsessed with, the cars and the houses and the vacations and the relationships and the careers and all, the, all those things will be ordered rightly in your life if he's on the throne of your heart. 
Make him primary. That's why Jesus, I think, says in Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Jesus is saying, make me primary and I'll take care of all those other things and make sure they're rightly ordered in your life in a way that's helpful and healthy to you. Now he's gonna move on, John, is to the third test, right? So we talked about last week, the test of obedience. You wanna know you're a Christian, test of obedience, test of love. Now it gives us the third test, the test of belief or the test of truth. Starting in verse 18. John writes this, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. John says it's the last hour. He wrote this around 1,900 years ago. Was he wrong to say that it's the last hour? It's been almost 2,000 years. Well, no. In fact, you'll notice as you read through the New Testament that all of the biblical authors refer to the time period between the first and second coming of Jesus as the last days. So just just keep that fresh in your mind. As you study the New Testament, as you study the Gospels, the time period between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus is always referred to as the last days. Now, there are last days inside of the last days, and we can talk about that another time, but this is what it's referring to. So don't let let that throw you off as you read the Scriptures. So John goes, hey, listen, last days are here. You've heard about the Antichrist, that he's coming, like this one really bad actor, this really bad character is going to show up on the world scene into time. He's going to deceive a lot of people. It's going to be awful. We talked about the Antichrist in depth, by the way, in our Daniel series a few months ago. I don't have time to do a deep dive this morning. You can go back on our website, catch all the Antichrist stuff in the Daniel series. Uh, But here's what what is interesting to me. He goes, John goes, even now many Antichrists have come. Did you catch that? See, I always thought about the Antichrist. It's just like one bad dude. He's going to show up. He's going to start lopping Christians' heads off at the end of time. He's saying, no, no, no. Actually, there are many Antichrists. And and in fact, many are already here. They've already come. Now, you should know this. The word Antichrist literally means one who is against Christ or one who is in the place of Christ. So what I think John is doing here is he's, he's referring to these Gnostic guys and gals, these folks who were in the church for a long time. They looked like Christians. They acted like Christians. They talked like Christians. But at some point, they started to believe and teach a false gospel, namely that Jesus wasn't God, and now they have left the faith, and ultimately they've left the church. And John is saying, hey, while they are not the Antichrist, not that final global figure, in a sense, they are all carrying the spirit of Antichrist. Now, that's scary because it means any of us could carry the spirit within us, right? Anyone who denies that Jesus is God, in a sense, a technical sense, is an antichrist because they are denying the Christ, the chosen one, the Messiah. And listen, guys, this is why the test of belief, the test of truth, is so critically important to the modern-day church and to your and my life as followers of Jesus. And here's why. Listen, guys, if, if we get belief about who Jesus is wrong the whole house of cards comes tumbling down. Because the reality is this, and you know this, we live in an age of moral relativism, don't we? You say, Chris, what is moral relativism? It's, it's what you hear all the time from your friends, your colleagues, your coworkers. Or maybe you say this stuff, right? But this, it's this whole idea of your truth is your truth and good for you, but my truth is my truth and it's good for me. And so you'll hear people say goofy things like, live your truth. Like, what does that even mean? Now, that sounds kind of good. You live your truth and I'll live my truth. Here's a problem with it. Here's a problem with that. When my truth collides with your truth, whose truth wins? 
mine because I'm stronger than you and I can beat you up or yours because you have more money than me and more power in our society? No, friend. There has to be a standard of truth that stands outside of time and personal opinion. And here's the good news. There is. We're looking at it this morning. But moral relativism is nothing new. John is addressing it in the churches in Asia 2,000 years ago, just like we're dealing with the same exact lies today in our culture. When John continues on verse 19, he says this, talking about the Gnostics, it's false gospel people, looked like Christians, acted like Christians, claimed to be Christians. That's what he says. They went out from us, but they were not of us. Hmm. They looked like us. They were with us. They actually didn't belong to us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. In other words, if they were genuine in the faith, they'd still be sitting right here by you on Sunday morning. The fact that they're not is proof of who they actually are. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. And again, John, John is simply saying here, listen, my dear children, don't let your hearts be troubled. These guys and gals have, have left the faith, have left our churches. These men and women have left our community of faith, but that's because they were not ever of us, actually. I think this is actually meant as an encouragement to these believers. Because he's saying, hey, hey, listen, guys, the fact that you guys are still here, the fact that you guys have held strong, that you have remained, that you're holding fast to the gospel, this is evidence that you do, in fact, belong to Jesus Christ. He's assuring them of their faith. He's saying, good job, guys. Good job. Stay strong. Don't follow these guys who are preaching a false gospel. Stay true to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They left. Let them leave. We're going to keep following Jesus and his way. They hate us because they ain't us. We call this the doctrine, by the way, in theological circles of the perseverance of the saints. If you grew up Baptist like I did, we call this once saved, always saved, right? Perseverance of the saints. That just means those who are actually authentically in Christ will endure to the end. Not based on their own willpower, but because God holds us to the end. This is the way Jesus says it in John chapter 10. Listen to the words of Jesus. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Again, the test of obedience. Those who know my voice are gonna follow me. They're gonna obey me or at least uh, there's a desire for obedience there. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They will follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Here's one of the most encouraging passages in all of scripture. I go back to it often. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. You know what no one means in the Greek? No one. Nobody. Not even you yourself can get yourself outside of God's hand if you really belong to him. That's good news. My father, he goes on in verse 29, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. And he says it again, just in case you didn't hear the first time, for those in the back, no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. Praise God that he holds us in his hand. Because if I could wiggle out, I for sure would have wiggled out by now. I'm grateful that he holds us. I'm grateful for this doctrine of the perseverance of the saints that once we're in the family of God, authentically, he will make sure that we remain to the end. He picks it up in verse 20, he says this, but you have been anointed. Now, this is a reference to the Holy Spirit's work in our life. 
All right, we come to know Jesus. We get the indwelling of the Holy Spirit inside of us. This is the biblical idea of anointing. But you have been anointed, get the Holy Spirit, anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. Here's the idea of belief or truth. What we believe matters. It's not your truth, my truth. It's the truth. You have all knowledge, he says. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. What is the test of truth? What is the test of belief? Do you affirm that Jesus is God? That's it. Do you affirm that Jesus is who he claimed to be? that he rose from the dead, that he is, in fact, God wrapped in human flesh. Guys, listen, that's the gospel. You reject that, you've rejected the faith, and ultimately, you reject God himself. And that's why we say with a tear in our eye to our Jewish friends and to our Muslim friends, if you don't have the Son, you don't have the Father. If you don't have the Son, you don't have access to the Creator himself. Verse 23, he goes on to emphasize. He says, no one who denies the Son has the Father. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have God. Period, the end. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. It's a two for one deal. This is pretty good. Verse 24, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. What did they hear from the beginning? The gospel of Jesus Christ, the word of God. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, it stays in you, you don't, you don't reject it, you don't wander from it, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. Now, he's not saying that you don't need teachers in the church or preachers in the church. In fact, that's what he's doing in this letter is he's teaching these believers. What he's saying is you don't need any new teachings. You got all you need. You got the prophets. You got the apostles' teachings. Basically, we, you have what we have now in the, the Holy Bible, the scriptures. You don't need anything new. So hold fast to the gospel. Reject the new stuff. Hold fast to the old stuff. Cling to the old message. Jesus crucified and raised to life. Anything added to that should be rejected. And he goes on. He says, but as his anointing, the Holy Spirit, teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So here's the bottom line and we're done. Last, last truth on the screens for you. Christian, we must learn to hold fast to the truth. Not a truth, not your truth, not your friend's truth, not culture's truth. We must learn to hold fast to the truth. And the truth is not just a set of ideas. I would argue the truth is a person and his name is Jesus Christ. So let me just say again, friend, and I say this with love in my heart. I know this is offensive to some of you. It is not about your truth. I don't care about your truth or your opinions. It's not my truth or my opinion. It's not about your inner truth. The test of truth is this. What are you doing with Jesus? What are you doing with Jesus? Do you, do you sit him on the shelf of your life? Do you add him to a list of other loves or lovers? Or do you crown him king and lord of your life? Now you may, may be wondering like, well, okay, Chris, how do I do this for a lifetime, man? This is hard. I can't seem to do this for a day. How do I do this for a lifetime? 
how do I choose love for God over love for the world? How do, I, how do I desire to obey him? How do I desire to love my brothers and sisters? How do I cling to the truth and not wander off after all these other claims in the world that are clamoring for our time and our attention, our heart's affections? Like, how do I endure to the end? John tells us right there in the text. He gives us two key ways. Number one, the first way is the word of God. Verse 24, he says, what you have heard from the beginning, you cling to that. What did they hear from the beginning? The gospel of Jesus Christ, the word of God. We cling to the word. Here's the second one, verse 27, the Holy Spirit. He says that the key is the word and the spirit. The key is the word and the spirit, the spirit and the word. Friend, what do you need to endure to the end in your faith and your walk with Jesus? Two things and two things alone, the word and the spirit. I've heard it said this way. I'll put it up on the screens with you. I think this is a fantastic quote. I don't know who said it first, so I'm just gonna throw it up there anyway. It says this, all spirit and no word and people blow up. All word and no spirit and people dry up. But both word and spirit and the people grow up. Now, isn't that true? Right, if you've ever been to like a, like a hyper-charismatic church, right, where there's, there's no teaching of the word of God, right, there's no gospel proclamation, there's just kind of an overemphasis on emotion, man. People just kind of blow up. It's all about feelings. There's no truth there. And you go to some of these really dry, cold, maybe like an old-school Presbyterian church, man, and they got the doctrine down to a T, man. They can, they can preach it just perfectly, but it's dry as a bone in there, man. There's no work of the Spirit in there. Nobody's excited about Jesus. They just come in there and sit there and look like they're sucking on a lemon every week. Ain't nobody happy. Dry, dead. Neither one of those is good enough by themselves. But, 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 John is saying, both Word and Spirit and the people grow up into Christ. That's beautiful. That's what I want for me. That's just what I want for us as a faith family called New Life Community Church. And I believe that's what we can get to as we follow hard after Jesus in 2023. Let me encourage you, bow your heads, close your eyes with me. Worship team's gonna come, take their place, get ready to lead us in a song. We just say one more thing, we'll be done. I'll say this. I want you to hear me because this is the key to the whole deal. All of this, all of this, the key to your happiness, the key to purpose in life, all of this hinges on Jesus. All of it. If you have Jesus, you have life. That's what John is saying. The flip side of that coin is if you don't have Jesus, listen friend, whether you realize it or not, you are walking in darkness. So I just wanna say from the bottom of my heart, from a place of love this morning, listen friend, if you are not in Christ today, let me, let me urge you, let me plead with you, turn to him today. Find life in him Turn from doing life your way. Repent from your sin. Turn to him. He's not trying to keep you from the good life. He's trying to give you the good life. Can't you see? He loves you. He's got the best for you. He's for you. He's not against you. If you're walking in the darkness, if you haven't ever surrendered your life to Jesus, listen, it's not about your truth. It's not about somebody else's truth. It's about the truth, Jesus Christ. If you don't have him, you're in darkness. That's the whole message of 1 John. So let me just urge you, if you're online watching, you're in the room, you don't know Jesus, let me urge you, turn your life over to Christ today. Don't log off. Don't leave this room until you got that right. Now listen, if you're, a, if you're a prodigal, and I'm guessing there's more than one, 
man, like you know Jesus, but you've been running. You've been drifting. Let me just encourage you. Don't, don't walk home to the Father this morning. Sprint back home to the Father this morning. You will find a loving Heavenly Father with arms open wide, ready to embrace you and welcome you home. Stop wandering. Stop eating the pig slop in a distant land. Come home to the Father. Won't you come home? Listen, guys, life is found in Him and Him alone. Let me pray for us and then we're going to sing. God, would you continually, for those of us who know you, would you continually remind us of our identity in you? Would you constantly, when we're tempted to despair, would you remind us that we are forgiven, that we have relationship with you, that we are victors over the evil one. We don't have to live in fear any longer and that we are strong because the word and the spirit abides in us. Would you remind us of who we are? because everything flows from our identity. Unless we get our identity right, everything else is going to be disordered in our life. So help us get our identity right, Father. I pray for the one who's out there, who's maybe on the fence, who's maybe exploring Christianity, who maybe not sure, God. I pray that today would be the day they would consider surrendering their life, waving the white flag of surrender to you. And just say, Jesus, I, 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 know, I know I'm a sinner, I know I'm separated from you as a perfect and holy God because of my rebellion and my sin, but I don't want to be separated from my creator anymore. I want to know you. I want to have this relationship like John was talking about. I want to to experience forgiveness. I want to experience a vibrant relationship with my heavenly father. I want to be a victor over the evil one. I want to be strong spiritually because I have the Spirit of God and the Word of God dwelling deep inside of me like I want this. So God, the best way I know how, I don't even know the right words. I just want to give you my life. I want to lay down my arms as a rebel today. And I want to surrender and pledge my allegiance to the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, the resurrected one. And I want to follow you the rest of my days. God, would you hear the pleas, the prayers of your people. It's in Jesus' name that we ask and pray. Amen. Church, let's stand. Let's worship the King.